Good afternoon. How you doing? Good. Excellent. That's great. I love to hear that. Really, it's an honor and a privilege to be with you this afternoon just to share a few words. Um, I think the Colts didn't get good until after I left. <laughs> we did play the Colts. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm old enough to have played the Baltimore Colts and the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> So, you know, nowadays you talk about, a lot of us talk about the new venues, the new, I mean, the stadiums are unbelievable. You go to Dallas, you know, their stadium just cost $1.2, $1.3 billion, and it's, it's okay. And, uh, of course, you know, this team in Indy just built another stadium that's twice as big as the RCA Dome. Uh, you know, and when I talk about, yeah, I played the Colts in um, Baltimore Municipal Stadium, it was still a combination baseball football field. I played up in Cleveland, that great venue up there. Uh, that was baseball and football. And uh, Sadly enough, my rookie year I played in Oakland. And it's still the same stadium in football and baseball. So they're a little behind the times. But uh, So they better get on it or I'm sure a lot of you have heard that uh, <coughs> here soon it might be the Las Vegas Raiders and they won't have to worry about building a new stadium in Oakland, which would be a shame. But um, it is, uh, I get that a lot, of course, uh, being close to Indy and close to Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Uh, you know, I'm sure I'm not going to ask, but I'm sure there's some Cleveland Brown fans in here and some Steeler fans. And, uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. You know, you know how you find out if they're Pittsburgh or Cleveland fans, you just give them five minutes and they'll let you know. I don't think it was five minutes. <laughs> but I, you, do you say Pittsburgh or Cleveland? Cle Cleveland? I love it. I love that he's still a Cleveland Browns fan because just as the tough times we went through, I appreciate you raising that hand right away and uh, sticking to your guns and sticking to your team. But uh, no, it really is a pleasure to, to be with you today and just to, to share a few things. And I'm not going to stand up here and claim to know all the answers, uh, but you know, a lot of times when I do speak and I get introduced, uh, that's what I love about Father when he said he asked me some questions and to me those are the things that are important. Most of the times when I speak, the body of work that I was able to accomplish in my 13 years with the Bengals is, are the things that people introduce me with. And, uh, and that's all fine and dandy. But I, when I talk, I love to share the journey. You know, because we have a new president at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And one of the things that he says, he says these guys, meaning the gold jackets of the Hall of Famers, did not just roll out of bed and become Hall of Famers. And I believe what God has allowed me to go through and being able to share that journey from what I've heard and what I've seen has a far further impact than being able just to talk about my 13 years with the Bengals, the two Super Bowls we had a chance to play in, and the Pro Bowls and this and that. Because I really believe it's the journey that we go through that allows us to become who we are. And I would not trade my journey for anything that's allowed me to make that transition into becoming a, a Cincinnati Bengals, and even now that I've been retired for 24 years. Yeah, wow, that's a, 24 years, I you know, two kids, we got eight grandkids, a ninth one on the way, and my body's a little sore than it was, you know, 24, 25 years ago, but I'm thankful. I'm very thankful with the journey that God has allowed me to take. And it started back in Ontario, California. 
about 40 miles east of LA and you know, haven't played a team sport for as long as I did. I started playing team sports when I was seven years old. My life, my childhood dream was to be a pro baseball player. And I started playing baseball with my two older brothers at the age of seven. And I also have two younger sisters. But I share with people, even though I've played team sports for a lot of years, the ultimate coach, the ultimate general manager, the ultimate owner was my mom. The ultimate mentor was my mom. Because my mom raised five kids by herself, working two, three jobs. So she was mom, dad, coach. In fact, just a little over a year, it was the Monday after Super Bowl last year, we lost mom. And I had the chance to, to, to give her a eulogy. Quite a few people were there. And one of the, the individuals that was there is a baseball coach that I met at the age of seven. And I have a 52-year relationship with him, and we still bring him and his wife out to Cincinnati in the summer for our, my foundation dinner. I have named an award after Jim Seaman, who I met at the age of seven, because he impacted myself and other young men that did not have dads and never had dads growing up. And he still is mentoring, still is pouring into young people's lives. So I have an award that I give to people in the Cincinnati area that impact young people that carries Jim's name. So when I was given my mom's eulogy, I said, I said, coach, I said, with all due respect, I don't think I had a baseball coach in my career that hit better grounders and better fly balls and threw better than my mom. <laughs> she was amazing. We lost her just a little over a year ago. And like I said, the things that she taught the five of us, I believe are the foundation to who I am now. Like I said, she raised us by herself, never met my dad, never, never have known my dad, but I knew he was in and out of prison when I was growing up. He passed away and I heard indirectly that he was no longer on this earth. So I never had a chance to meet him. But growing up, my mom taught us we had to move forward with what we have, do your best, and never give up. Think of that. You got to move forward with what you have, and sometimes it might not be very much. Do your best in whatever, not just in athletics, but in everything you do, do your best and never, ever give up. Those are the things she taught us. You see, as a kid, if our shoes were wearing out and the sole was wearing out, we couldn't just go to the local shoe store and buy another pair. Mom sat us down and taught us. You pull the sole out, you take cardboard, you cut out the exact size, you stick it in your shoe, then you put your sole back in there. And your foot doesn't have to hit the ground when you're walking. You're good to go. That shoe, that pair of shoes will last you a lot longer. If your jeans might have one pair for the school year. We're wearing out at the knees, and believe me, being as active as we were in sports, they wore out quickly. She taught us she would go to the store and buy those little iron-on patches. She wouldn't do it for us. She taught us if we'd cut out a piece, we'd iron it on, but then we'd reinforce it by sewing it by hand. And she taught us how to thread a needle and how to sew, and those jeans were good to go. We learned how, not only how to fix our shoes, how to sew patches, we learned how to wash our clothes. We learned how to iron clothes. We learned how to cook. 
because it was survival mode. And you can look at me and see that I like to eat, so you better believe I learned how to cook. Because there was no fast food restaurants that we could pull money out of our pocket and go buy food. So she taught us those things that were priceless, invaluable, as we were, because she taught us not only how to do those things, but she taught us what responsibility was all about. We were responsible to take care of our chores. During the school year, if I wanted to go with my buddies and play baseball or play basketball or football, we couldn't go unless our homework was finished. Because mom said so. In the summertime, and believe me, I'm not thinking just one baseball game per day in the summertime. I'm thinking, let's play as many games as we can play. But I couldn't get off to the park until we took care of our chores at home. And it wasn't just, you know, kind of tidying up the house. I mean, we had to wash the dishes, we had to dust, we had to clean the house because we knew at six o'clock when mom got home ready to fix dinner. I never was in the military, but I can imagine it was similar to when guys in the military have to, you know, fix their beds and make sure their stuff is shiny and stuff. I'd probably say it was close to that with my mom. She taught us those things, invaluable. And I'm thankful for that. Like I said, we didn't have a whole lot. We never had a car growing up. Finally, at age of 11, 12, I was able to get a bicycle. So being able to play baseball and throw the glove on the handlebars and just take off and play, that was our transportation. Going to practice, going to games. She was one of 10, so we had aunts and uncles around that would give her a ride to our game and a lot of times would provide transportation for us. But like I said, we learned how to move ahead with what we have. We didn't complain. I didn't realize how much we didn't have growing up until I got to high school. And I said, man, I looked at my classmates and I said, they're wearing some new clothes or clean clothes just about every day. Then I realized we didn't have a whole lot because mom's philosophy is even though we don't have a lot, it doesn't mean you don't go to school clean and pressed. And I'm talking starched and ironed. I'd wear a shirt with a t-shirt underneath and not only would she iron the shirt, but she would iron the undershirt. I'd say, mom, nobody can see that. She goes, well, I can see it. And we learned because in elementary school, we would come home with pillowcases of clothes. She would iron clothes for our teachers to make extra money. I'll never forget when our kids were in high school, we have a son and daughter, when they were in high school, if my wife was busy, I would take and iron maybe a pair of jeans for them or a shirt, and they would say, Dad, you don't have to starch them and crease them. Just iron them so they're not wrinkled. I'd say, but they look so good when you starch them and crease them. <laughs> They say, we don't have enough time for you to do that. And I don't have to cook a whole lot now because my wife is an amazing cook. Once in a while, she'll allow me to do some cooking. But those are things that when the journey started that I'm thankful for. Because when I got into high school and became a three-sport athlete, football, basketball, and baseball, those things that she taught us at home, work ethic, responsibility, not cutting corners. Those have stuck with me even now as I'm up older. I went to high school, school was going well, athletics was going well, 
But there was really no spiritual component to my life. It wasn't that I didn't believe in God or I was rebelling against God, but I just felt I didn't have enough time. Unless I was struggling when I was pitching. I said, God, come on, help me throw strikes. Or I was in a batting slump. Let me hit the ball. Let me get some base hits. Let me get some RBI. So it was just basically doing what I had to do in order to get to the next level. So even though things weren't great financially, material, materialistically, we had a lot of support, a lot of love. I knew we were loved and we were supported because my mom went to every one of our events. When we played baseball, she was there. And she knew baseball. I could hear her during baseball games. Do not say anything negative about her kids. <laughs> I'd kind of go, that's my mom. <laughs> or on the basketball court. A little tougher on the football field, but she really didn't know a whole lot about football. See, I was a flag football guy from third grade to eighth grade. And because I was a pitcher third baseman, I played quarterback from eight years old to eighth grade. I was a quarterback. So when I got into high school, I put the pads on for the first time, made sure they were all put on the right way. And when the coach split us up by position, I ran over to the quarterbacks. And he looked at me, I was about 6'2", 6'3", about 230, he says, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm the biggest kid, probably the second, third biggest on campus. And I said, I'm gonna be your quarterback. And he goes, no, nah, I don't think so. And I'm like, what do you mean? You see all those fast guys? Those have been my wide receivers for years. He says, you see Henry over there? I said, yeah, I know Henry. He said, you know what Henry does? I said, yeah, he's our equipment manager. He says, you gotta go get that face mask changed. You need a, a cage, because you're gonna be a lineman. And I'm thinking, a cage? I'm no animal. <laughs> <laughs> so I went over, changed my face mask. All of a sudden, that first, first day of pads, I'm putting my hand down in a three-point stance. I'm going, this is nuts. I should be calling the plays, running the offense. The second day in the three-point, I said, this is fun. <laughs> I'm bigger than anybody else, and I get a chance to just physically dominate. I like this. Those other guys can have the quarterback position. The rest is history. Over 20 years of playing offensive line. So like I said, a lot of support, a lot of encouragement. Things, I mean, I went from football to basketball to baseball for four years, and I can't remember missing a game in four years because of a health problem. After my last football game, or my last playoff game in football, I'd put the basketball uniform on the next day. And the same thing for baseball. I did that for four years. And all of a sudden, I continue to grow, and I start getting recruited by all these major universities to go to school and play football. And I'm thinking, why football? Why not baseball? By my senior year, I was a three-time All-State in baseball and just one-time All-State in football. But at 6'6", 290 pounds, I realized a football uniform would fit better than a baseball uniform. <laughs> and I think those college football coaches knew a little more than I did. So I decide, when I got an offer to this small school on the West Coast, University of Southern California, anybody heard of that small school? <laughs> All right, I love it. I, that's rare out here, but I'll take it. <laughs> I said, I want to go to USC. As a lineman now, if I go to USC, I had all these plans. Maybe I'd block for a Heisman Trophy winner. Maybe I'd block on a team that won a national championship. Maybe I'd go to a Rose Bowl. 
But I knew once I said, I will go to USC, go to school and play there, I knew two things would happen every year that I was there. We would play UCLA, and we would play Notre Dame. That excited me. So I had all these plans of going there. So, you know, a lot of times I think of, like I said, the journey. We can look at our circumstances, what I, which I just shared with you about growing up, my background, the things we went through. And you can allow those things to dictate who you become, or you can use them to develop who you become. You can get stuck. I could have gotten stuck on being a young male growing up in a single-parent home with nothing financially. He said, well, statistics say you should become this. But I said, no, I want to become something different than what statistics say you should become in that environment. Or you can look at this next stage of my life. I have all these plans going to USC. I'm going to get a free education. I'm going to get a chance to play football. And because baseball was the first love of mine, they were going to let me play baseball. So I get there as a freshman. We're ranked number one. We had a little rough start, but then we get rolling. Seven games into my, maybe it was about eight games into my freshman year, I'm sitting at Cedar Sinai Hospital going through my first knee operation. So I'm thinking, all right, I got to play quite a bit this freshman year. I can bounce back from this knee operation. And that freshman year was a little rocky in different fronts. You know, school wasn't going as well as I wanted it to, and it was all my fault. I was having a little too much fun. Football was going pretty well until I got hurt. Then I go into my sophomore year, I rehabilitated and things started to turn for me. Not only academically, but athletically and relationally. You see, that sophomore year at USC was a big year for me. I played football, I was healthy the entire year. My freshman year, we won the Pac-8, we went to a Rose Bowl, we won the Rose Bowl. I, the three things that I mentioned earlier that I thought I was going to be able to be a part of, UCLA, Notre Dame, Rose Bowl, I was, I was hurt, didn't have a chance to be a part of that. So we end up going 11-1, and one. We, t we end up number two in the country. So going back to my sophomore year, I'm healthy. I start the entire season on the football team. We had a terrible year. We were 8-2, and 8-3. That's a joke. <laughs> a lot of people would take 8-3. Played the entire season. I had a chance to play football or uh, baseball that year, which I love. We won the World Series. That year, my first year playing on the USC baseball team, we go to the World Series and we win it. That same year, I had started dating a young lady before that year in college. I was dating her that summer before I went back to my second year in June. I asked her to marry me in December. We got married in April that sophomore year. I thought that was going to be the biggest decision in my life. So I'm healthy, just got married. That next football season, which actually was the 1978 season, the year I got married, I come back after playing a healthy season, playing baseball. Again, we're ranked number one again going into the year. Seven games into that season, I'm going through my second knee operation in three years. But I did get the chance to do something. I blocked, I started for seven games of a national championship team. I started for seven games and blocked for a Heisman Trophy winner. But once again, my second year in three years, I missed the UCLA, Notre Dame, and our second Rose Bowl in two years. So now I'm, I'm thinking, man, this adversity is starting to hit me. How am I going to handle this adversity? 
So we win the national championship. I'm going into my senior year, my last hurrah. Going into my senior year, I'm projected to get drafted high. If I stay healthy, that was the big question. So I'm in the best shape I've been in in college. Myself and two other linemen had the summer job at an oil refinery back then. You had to work in the summer to make a little money. We'd get home about 5.36 in the evening. We'd go lift weights and run. We go into that season, and I'm just tip-top shape. I'll never forget. First game of the season, we're in Lubbock, Texas. Second time we had the football, we run student body right. I pull from the backside, jump over a pile, and the defensive back sticks his helmet right in my left knee. I'm laying on the turf in Lubbock, Texas. I know exactly what has to happen because I've had two previous, and I've felt that pain before. We fly back to LA, and I'm in the hospital for the third time in four years, going through my third knee operation. This time, very first game of the season. So I'm going to miss the entire season in addition to the UCLA and Notre Dame game. But I'm determined because the guys that I've come into school with, we're all finishing school, we're finishing, we're getting ready to graduate, and there's no way I'm interested in coming back for grad school. I told my buddies, I said, you guys win the Pac-10, and I'm going to be with you guys, and I'm going to play at least one Rose Bowl. And they kind of put their arm around me and said, all right, we'll do it. And I'm sure they thought I was nuts. We end up winning the Pac-10. We're going to our third Rose Bowl in four years. And we're getting ready to start practice. And I go into the coach. I said, Coach, I am ready to start practice, and I want to earn my starting job back. Takes me about a half an hour to convince him that I'm serious. And I could see the concern he had for me. Because I'd just been through some adversity. How am I going to handle that? But he said, okay, okay, I understand. You're serious. If you get the okay from the doctor, I'll let you start practicing. So, of course, I zipped to the doctor. And the doctor said, there's no reason why you can't start practicing and try to earn that starting job back. So I get back. I'm, we're practicing. And I earned the starting job. January 1st, 1980, the starting lineup is announced for the 1980 Rose Bowl. They announce the Ohio State University starting lineup. Then they announce the University of Southern California starting lineup, and they mention at starting at the weak side tackle number 77, Anthony Munoz. I think people are scratching their heads, saying, who's this guy? I end up playing the entire game. You see, what happened why I was determined to convince my coach that I wanted to play is that God still gave me the desire to rehab and to play at least one more game. I didn't know if it was going to be the last game. So I played that entire game, and I can say it was probably the best game I played in four years at USC, even though I just played about half the games in four years. You see, because something had happened my sophomore year, and it wasn't one of those years when I was rehabilitating the knee, it was a year that I was healthy, played the entire football season. I played baseball, we won a World Series, and I got married. Like I said, I thought getting married would be the most important decision in my life 39 years ago. But it was the second best decision I made in my life. That was the year. I got married in April of 1978. In October of 1978, I realized at 6'6", 300 pounds, that I was not big and strong enough to make it through life alone. Then I needed a savior. And I needed a personal relationship with the living God. And I needed Jesus to, to really take control and mold me and make me the person that he wanted me to be. Not the person that they were saying in L.A. and, you know, being a, a big-time football player at USC and doing this. But I wanted 
And I knew I needed the spiritual component of my life. And that's when my spiritual journey started, was back in 1978, 39 years ago. In addition to what mom had taught us, in addition to what coaches and teachers, the mentors in my life had taught me, now I had, even though I didn't know my biological father, I had a spiritual father that I never realized and understood that I had, that I could go to for guidance and direction, and that was the ultimate and has been the ultimate mentor in my life. So I played that Rose Bowl game with the passion and the desire to say, if this is the only game I get to play for the rest of my football career, Lord, it's going to be in your glory because you've allowed me to do this. So I played that game four months later, April 29th, 1980. I received a phone call that would change my life. Just a few minutes after 7 o'clock West Coast time, as the NFL draft started in New York just at 10 o'clock, I received a phone call from the Cincinnati Bengals that weren't just drafting me, but they drafted me with the third pick in the entire draft. And all I wanted after that game was a chance to go to an NFL camp. And the Bengals were giving me an opportunity to go to an NFL camp, and I after I got drafted, I had a chance to go to 13 consecutive NFL camps and played 13 years with the Cincinnati Bengals. And I'm very thankful that God gave me that opportunity to do that. And he's the one that motivates me. He's the one that gives me an incentive to do what I do, not only as a husband, a father, now as a grandfather, but back when I was in the NFL. My motivation, my preparation, my intensity, I can tell you, is because of my relationship with the Lord. I had my game plan every week during the season. We had our game, our playbook. But to have the scriptures as the ultimate game plan, that's what's exciting to me. And that's what motivates me even now. Someone that still watches the game of football. There's so much more to life. His father said when he asked me, what do you want people to get out of this time that you speak? I want, people, I want all of you guys to look up here and say, yeah, this guy played in the NFL, played 13 years, had a decent career. But I want you to all leave and say, the most important thing in his life is his relationship with the living God. That Jesus is his ultimate mentor and motivator and purpose. That's the message I want everyone I talk to, conferences like this, young people that I coach. I love coaching. I believe I have a wealth of knowledge, especially in the offensive line position. I have confidence that I can have an impact on young people with football technique. But hopefully there's more to when I teach these young men. Hopefully the three years I coached high school, and hopefully the, the pro camps I go to and the pro camps I'm getting ready to go to, as I'm working with these young men that are in the NFL, hopefully they see more than just a former NFL football player that wants to, wants to pass on knowledge. You see, because after I retired 24 years ago, I thought that I could just kind of go off into the sunset. My wife and I, Didi, could just enjoy family. But you know what? The exciting thing is that God just said, Anthony, 
I have so many exciting things for you to do. I have your foundation that you can start and impact young people, people mentally, physically, and spiritually through your programs. The last six years, we've been going nationally, working with the NFL, doing character camps with young men and women. The last, this will be our fourth year in a row, we're going to Mexico to do the same thing. And I know it's because his plan, not because of who I am, but what he's done and what he continues to do in our lives. You know, I think about my family background, I think about the adversity, and then I think about the success I had on the NFL football field. And I have to go to scripture. You know, the first one, I could, like I said, I could very easily look at my upbringing and say, no, why did I never have a dad? Why didn't we have money to have a car? You know, my buddies had these nice 10 speeds, these nice boots and jeans. But you know what? In the book of Jeremiah, when God calls Jeremiah, he lets him know that before he was formed in the womb, that God knew him. And before we were born, God set us apart. So God knew that I was going to be in the family that I ended up being a part of. God knows that. Before we even formed the wood, each and every one of us, he knew us, and then he knew us as he set us apart. That's the encouraging thing. As I look at it and can think about it all I want, all I have to do is look at God's truth and realize that he knows what he's doing. And then when I look at adversity, you know, I can look at those three knee operations in four years, and I can say, why did I have to go through that? Why couldn't I play all four years at USC every single game? I was there, I was part of it, but what I learned going through those tough, I learned to appreciate things. I learned about even harder work, is I had to go to class, go to rehab, lift weights, go home and do homework, and do that routine for a lot of days in my four years in college in order to get through. You know, in Romans 5, it says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So those tough times we go through refine us. Make us the people God wants us to be. And then I think about, you know, a lot of the questions I had, um, especially coming out of USC and going through all the, you know, the struggles there in school and only playing one game my last year. Then all of a sudden getting drafted in the, by the Bengals with the third pick. Coming to Cincinnati, earning the starting job three days into camp. In my rookie year, playing 20 games. Four preseason, 16 regular season. And I'll never forget, before my second year, sitting with a group of guys, we would get, to, get together on Saturday night and pray before every game. We'd pray for each other, for our teammates, for our teammates' families, for just health. And I'll never forget sitting with our chaplain saying, I'm trying to put all this together. I go through three knee operations, and all of a sudden now, I'm a starting tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals. I 
played every game as a rookie. What's going on here? And we, of course, like I usually do, we went to scripture. And this, the book of Romans spoke loudly to me going into that opening game my second year. It started to give me a clear picture of why I was doing what I was doing. As it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then it goes on to say, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So I looked at it as not just going to church on Sunday in several songs at your worship. I looked, this spoke to me and said, what you do every day should be your way of worshiping God and thanking him for the opportunities you have. And that's what I did. I started doing that through the game of football, through my marriage, through my being a father. I wanted to be the best, knowing that I, I couldn't hit perfection. But as Vince Lombardi said, if you chase perfection, none of us are perfect, you'll capture excellence. And then it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. All you have to do is watch television, ads. They're trying to conform you to their pattern, but be renewed by the, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how does that happen? Knowing God's word, knowing what God wants us to do through the scriptures. So also, I, I look at the, the 13 years that I had as part of the Cincinnati Bengals. And a lot of times, people think, well, is it okay to dream and try to be successful? And, you know, yeah, I believe it does if you have a balance in your life. And as it says in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, I think this, this talks about it, where God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So he says he's got a plan for us to prosper, to be successful, but we need to seek him. We need to pray to him because when we seek him with all our hearts, he's there for us to have that relationship. Those are the things that have allowed me to keep everything in perspective. See, so many times we accomplish things. We get so full of ourselves, believing that, hey, we did it all. I'm a self-made man. I've not met a successful person that people claim they're self-made, and then they get up after they receive an award, and the first thing they do is they start thanking all these people that have helped them. If you say he's self-made, wouldn't he just get up there and thank himself for everything he's done? So I'm thankful that not only God through his word, but God through the people he's placed in my life has allowed me to do the things I've done on the football field, as a husband, as a father, and now as poppy of eight grandkids with the ninth one on the way. And these are the things I love to share. I could stand up here and I could talk, um, you know, football stories and football, you know. And you would say, man, these are grown men going through these things. But I love to think of, talk about things that are really important in our lives. 
how we can have peace and joy, enjoying all the things that we want to accomplish. If we have the balance of knowing that God is alive and God is there for us to tap into and to seek his wisdom, to seek his guidance and direction. And as we transform our, ourselves by the renewing of our mind with his word, that we can live a life that's pleasing to him. As it says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, not just some things, but whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, that you'll please God and not man. It doesn't say half-heartedly, work hard in some things, but it says whatever you do. And those are the messages, working with our foundation and young people. If they have dreams of being a pro athlete, you take care of the other stuff. You take care of your character, your relationships, your school. Then you'll become successful if that's what God's plan is for you as you're working extremely hard in the field of athletics. But sometimes you, you work extremely hard and there's a detour, you have to go another route. I appreciate this opportunity to share with you. You know, I talked about my upbringing, I talked about my college career, the circumstances, the adversity, the success during my NFL career. And I talked some about my post-NFL career and the wonderful things I've had a chance to be a part of. Not only the foundation that our team has put together, but like I talked to you, going across the country, working with kids in other neighborhoods, going to Mexico where my family is from. The first camp we did three years ago was in Chihuahua, Mexico, is where my grandparents and great-grandparents were born and raised. And to be sitting on an athletic field with 400 kids and 50 coaches and knowing that my grandparents were born and raised in this city, it was exciting not only to be with those young people and those coaches, to know that's where my family roots come from. And I'm thankful for those things. They continue to happen. God continues to open the doors, and he will for each and every one of us. We just have to be willing to be used by him. People say, well, you, you know, you're an athlete, former athlete, you have the spot. No, we all have opportunities to be mentors, to have an impact in our communities if we're willing to be used. And that's the exciting thing about it. I had a buddy who would say, God will use any old bush that will burn, <laughs> right? One beggar showing another beggar where to find food. And that's what it's all about to me. And I'm thankful that individuals in my young life shared with me that there is a God that cares about us, that loves us, and that we can tap in to the living God. Thank you very much for letting me be part of your conference. It is so great to see all of you men here. To me, it says you care about your life. It cares about your community and your families. So I thank God for opportunities like this to see each and every one of you and to have the privilege and honor to share a few words with you this afternoon. Thank you very much, and God bless you.
If you uh, turn your head over, uh, Anthony Munoz. Just a second, Anthony Munoz. This is Dr. Ray Garendi right here. He said uh, that he really wanted to meet you. You might not know this, Anthony, but uh, Dr. Ray Garendi works out every day. He said he has a few things he'd like to teach you about fighting, boxing. We're holding on a second. When you said he was a shrink, I thought you meant because of this. I got a question, Anthony, that yes, has sir. been eating at me for 20 years. Yes, sir. It's killing me. Why in the hell would you guys call a draw play on third and 16? So you think we call them? It's our coaches. You don't, you don't think that I'm thinking the same thing when I'm like, what do you mean a draw play? We got to make 16 yards. We got, you know, Chris Collinsworth, Eddie Brown, Rodney Holman, and you got Boomer Esiason. Yeah, 